Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate your support. We record the podcast every Monday and if you do enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. It's a slightly different episode today with Wales announcing their team to face Scotland. Myself, Matthew Southcombe and Simon Thomas went live on Facebook to discuss the selection and answer some of our readers' questions and you can listen to that episode in full in this podcast right here. Hello and welcome to the Game Line, Wales Online's Rugby Debate Show here live on Facebook. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined virtually by Matthew Southcombe and Simon Thomas to discuss the day's news. Wales have announced their team to face Scotland in their Six Nations finale this Saturday. But before we get on to that, gents, uh, it's only fitting that we touch upon, obviously, the sad passing of former Wales international JJ Williams, who, as I mentioned, has passed away at the age of 72. Simon, um, I suppose a few words on, on just what an inspiration he was to an entire generation. Yeah, I mean, personally as well, I got to know JJ quite well because he actually worked, after he finished playing, he worked extensively in the media as, as a pundit. Um, there were quite a few times when I went to him for an opinion and uh, he was a very straight talker about the game, the game as he watched it, having finished playing, always gave his opinions, you know, from that perspective, he was uh, always someone interesting to hear his views. But I mean, I grew up with him I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember that that 70s team for Wales and um, some glorious days. But actually, it was probably probably his appearances for the Lions that really, really struck a chord with me. When I think back, um, the 74 Lions tour, one of my first rugby memories, earliest rugby memories, was that trip. And um, he scored two tries in both the second and the third test. You know, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Part of the Lions team that went invincible throughout South Africa that year. And um, I, I've written a piece today about the third test in um, in Port Elizabeth at the Bird Erasmus Stadium, which is probably the most violent game of rugby that has virtually ever been. And it, it tends to get a little bit forgotten that JJ scored two fantastic tries in that game. Apart from the fact that there's a wonderful image of as he goes over, you can see behind the, the barbed wire fencing all of the black fans like the uh, who were supporting the Lions on that tour because the Springboks was seen as part of the kind of the white establishment, white power in the apartheid era. They all got behind the, the Lions and the look on the faces of those supporters as he touches down and even the two black policemen sitting on the touchline. It's just a, a wonderful image of an incredible time. And on that tour and the 77 Lions tour of New Zealand, he was just outstanding. Check out the try he scored. He, he, he threw a dummy in the one test, but he took three All Blacks out of the game and crossed. Just a sublime finisher, so quick, obviously, from an athletic background. And, uh, yeah, part of an amazing team and one of the quickest players I've ever seen play rugby. I think it speaks volumes, doesn't it, when you think of Welsh rugby legends in the sense that you can remember them simply by one name. You think Gerald, Gareth, Ari, Shane... Obviously, JJ's in that category. Uh, he'll, he'll be sorely missed. Um, and also our thoughts and prayers are with his friends and family. But let's move on then uh, to the other news story of the day, and that's that Wayne Pivak has named his team to face Scotland in the Six Nations finale that was meant to happen about seven months ago. It's been, a, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? And he's rung the changes, as you predicted, Simon. Yeah, he has. I mean, Matt's obviously listened in today 
on Wayne Pivak's press conference, who have a bit more flesh to bone on the bones in terms of the reasoning. I mean, it, it, it's actually a team I predicted, and a team that I um, I think is interesting. Um, it's a kind of mix and match. In some areas, he's gone for real experience. And then you've also got Shane Tunes coming in for his debut. But when you look a lot, look at the changes, a lot of them kind of do make sense. Um, Liam Williams is fit. He's a world-class player. He comes into the back through in place of George North. Um, in midfield, I think there are a few issues, perhaps with uh, Tompkins' performance last week, maybe a couple of defensive issues. So they've gone for Owen Watkin, who provides more of a kind of a resolute rear guard, perhaps there, and also... Offers the go forward, maybe the, they need, which was lacking in Paris. Scrum half, obviously, is injury related with Reese Webout and Gareth Davies coming in, but that's been a sort of switchback ride at Scrum half for a while now and with a changing position quite a bit. Um, Thomas Francis comes in, he was the first choice, and also Samson Lee is out of the equation after taking a bang in, in Paris. Will Rowlands comes in to bring power and size and physicality and work rate in the second row. And then in the back row, again, physicality, a key area. Big lucky man, Shane Lewis. He was delighted to see him get the chance. He's been the form six in recent weeks. He's an absolute machine, that young man, 23-year-old from the Ferndale. His motto on Twitter is obsessed to be the best. And people at the Blues will tell you that he is a crazily committed individual who is absolutely steely-eyed in terms of his focus and determination and dedication. And he will relish this challenge. Interesting, Alwyn Jones has said he's seen much of it, a young Alwyn Jones in Shane Lewis Hughes. So great to see him there. He will, as as Pivak said today, now is bring some starch in defence. Um, so that's the team he's gone for. The pressure's on. The rain's come in. It could be an interesting, gritty affair. Indeed, it could. Uh, just a reminder, if you have any questions for Matt or Simon, do get them in in the comments below. Uh, Matt, you were listening in on the Wayne Pivak press conference. What was the sort of standout line that stuck with you after that? Yeah, just quickly, I see one comment in here. Paul Rolls asking where uh, Louis Rees-Samit is. Um, uh, he's got a bit of a problem with his shin that they fear maybe shin splints. Um, so they, he hasn't trained this week at all. Um, they're being very careful with him. Shin splints can be quite awkward. So that's why he's not involved uh, this weekend. Um, just touch on Simon's uh, points there. I think they realise that they need a bit more grunt and a bit more physicality. Um, you know, Will Rowlands is a massive bloke. I didn't realise until I saw pictures of him in training this week just how big he is. Um, but the key thing that Pivak was, was keen to pick up on as well is that you know, it's all well and good being... Uh, big old units and getting around the field, but they've got to be able to do it for for 80 minutes um, and they've got to bring a bit of subtlety to their game as well. Um, I think the changes, some of them as well, um, though they look a bit odd to most of us, um, there's clearly been conversations taking place earlier in this camp um, and there's been a bit of planning going on around you know, when we're going to see players, when we're not going to see certain players. Um, so, so I wouldn't expect, and Pivak did actually say as well, we're not going to pick a side and that will be the team that plays throughout the campaign. Um, there are going to be changes rung uh, every week by the sounds of things, um, which keeps it interesting and keeps us on our toes. Um, so, and I mean, that also explains Lloyd Williams' appearance on the bench uh, over Kieran Hardy. The, the plan uh, from day one was that Kieran Hardy wouldn't play in the first two games. He was aware of that. 
Lloyd Williams was also aware that if there was an injury, he would come into the side and, and go straight into the match day 23. So there's a lot of planning going on behind the scenes um, that may make things look a little bit peculiar to the rest of us from the outside looking in. But it's clear that Pivak's got a bit of a plan. He's, he's going to experiment this autumn and give everybody a chance. Um, he did say Kieran Hardy is going to feature this autumn, so look out for that. Um, but, you know, just, just to conclude a little bit, I, you know, I feel like the changes up front are good. I like the look of the pack. Um, I feel like the changes out wide perhaps are a touch harsh, particularly Tompkins. Not really sure, you know, that the backs had much of an opportunity to get into the game at all, really, in Paris. Um, so I feel perhaps Tompkins can feel a bit hard, hard done by, um, although they did pick out a few defensive errors on his part. I've never been sort of... Owen Watkins never been my number one uh, in that midfield. But what I will say is, you know, when he started against Italy in the Six Nations uh, last year in 2019, it was one of the best games I've seen him have. Um, and obviously the World Cup quarterfinal as well against France uh, started opposite Vakatawa when Jonathan Davis pulled out and, and had a fantastic game that night. You know, he did as well, made very few mistakes. Um, so, you know, he's a good operator and, and I think he's got a bit of a point to prove as well. We started the question with talking about Louis Rees-Samit. Obviously, another player who's missed out on that sort of wide berth. And a man who started last week is George North. And Darren Powell is asking after this omission, is George North's Welsh career now over? And that seems a bit premature. Um, but it's a bit of a blow, isn't it, for him? Yeah, you can never say it's so. over. Look at Lloyd Williams. You know, you wouldn't have thought a few weeks ago that Lloyd would be in line to make another cap, which I'm sure he'll get on Saturday. Um it's, it, it was interesting. I was looking through the kind of um, snippet coming out of the press conference to see how much Wayne Pivak was going to say about George North. I, I didn't see a huge amount. It just seemed to be the, the reference to he's got things to work on, you know, which when you consider this is a guy almost with 100 caps, you know, you'd, you'd think he'd be pretty much, uh, you know, a seasoned test campaign that was worth most of everything. And, we talked about him so much over the last couple of years, I and mean, you know, I think it, whether he was going to be able to get back to the levels he was at, probably sort of 2013, 14, 15 period. Um, it hasn't really happened for him, and he is in an area where there is real competition. Lewis Summit when he comes available again, is such a vibrant young talent, and now we've got Liam Williams back as well. And I suppose if you're looking at it on form and in terms of what they've done over the last year or so, the three guys he's gone with, Halfpenny, Adams and Liam Williams, it, it makes sense. Um, I think the other thing is that if you look at the conditions that are coming out along, just lately on Saturday, where there's no roof, by the way, um, it's going to be absolutely sodden. Three o'clock, midway through the, the game, it's going to be pouring with rain, according to the forecast. So you can imagine a few bombs going up in the air. Um if you look at Scotland, they've got Lang, ex-MRGC at 12, who's very much a, a, another controlling uh, 12 who can kick and pass. Hogg's got a huge boot. Uh, Russell can kick as well. He loves his cross kicks. There'll be a lot of challenging in the air, testing out players in the wet, slippery conditions. And you've gone there in the in Liam Williams coming in, someone who was very effective under the high bob. Halfpenny is as well. So it does kind of reinforce that area and given it, because I think it's fair to say, I think Matt will agree probably the aerial battle was lost in Paris. Is there a sense with George North being left out 
of the team that if you think this would have been his 100th test cap this weekend uh, traditionally throughout his career when he's had a poor weekend he's always had the following week to respond in the test match this is probably the first time where he hasn't had that he's been dropped on the team is that possibly a positive that he can take in the sense that this is now something different for him to to sort of react to and he's got to sort of show it in training before he gets back in that team Quite possibly. Um, I mean, you look throughout his career, as you touched on, Warren Gatlin never really dropped him. Um, came under a lot of pressure to do so uh, at various points, you know, particularly when he got injured and his form took a, a little bit of a knock as well. Um, I, I just think that, you know, he, in many ways, he's been a victim of his own success early on. Um, you know, people look at him now and ask, you know, <laughs> if he scored a try, why hasn't he done it carrying Israel Falau on his back? You know, if he's made 40 metres, why hasn't he made 50? You know, I always feel like that's the sort of pressure that George North is put under by, by media and the fans. Um, you know, if you look at his record, um, in his first 50 caps, he scored 21 tries, which means he scored 21 tries in his last 49 caps. So I know there's always a, a feeling that he was a better player at the start of his career. And in many respects, maybe that's fair. Um, but if you look at the figures, and they only tell you so much, you know, he's scoring at exactly the same rate as he was in 2013. Um, I just think the problem is now he's got so much pressure on him to deliver to a certain standard every week that if he doesn't hit those standards, then people want to know why. Conversely, you've got Josh Adams on the other wing who's running in tries all over the place. Um, you know, George went to the World Cup. I don't think he scored a try in Japan, for example, while Josh Adams was the top try scorer in the tournament. That brings about its own pressures. Um, so I don't think it's you know there's I think it's far too premature to say his international career is over or anything like that. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he responds to this because as you touched on, he you know he's never really been dropped. Um, and you know listening to Wayne Pivak talk at the press conference today, you know he very much feels like that. You know there were there are a lot of things that didn't go right for for North on on the weekend, and this does feel a lot like a, a stone cold drop. Um, but, you know, tactically speaking, as time, Simon touched on there, you know, Liam Williams comes in, suddenly you've got three players in that back three who are very, very good under the high ball. Um, and, you know, the kicking game wasn't wasn't right in Paris. Um, it wasn't varied enough. They lost far too much in the air. Um, I'm not saying that's George North's fault by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, Liam Williams is going to reinforce that sort of aerial battle um, you know, suddenly now, if you're Finn Russell looking at that Welsh back three, you don't really know where to kick the ball because n- none of them would be considered weak under the high ball per se. Um, but but on North, you know, his, his international career is not over, um, but it is going to be interesting. And he's being challenged now, perhaps in ways that he hasn't been challenged in the past. And it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to that. What confuses me a bit, Matt and Ben, as well, is that I expected him to be out of the side with Liam being available again. Halfpenny in good form, Adams undroppable. I'm surprised he's not on the bench though, because if you look at it, he he, would, he can cover centre as well as wing. Um, if you look at it now in terms of the back three cover, I suppose in an emergency, Tompkins or Watkins could go to the wing, or you could have Reese Patchell going to 15 and made, made a reshuffle. But that just seems a bit surprising to me, and it's almost as if they're looking at it and. They don't want to drop Tompkins out of the 23 altogether. Clearly see him still, you know, having a big, big part to play in the future. But no such qualms about not having George North in the 23, even though in some ways it looks a more balanced bench with him on there. So 
I don't know what you read into that really, but um, yeah, it's going to be disappointing for him to miss out altogether. Yeah, I was I was surprised not to see him on the bench for that reason. I thought there was a bit of a better balance there if he was there because then you've pretty much got the entire backline uh, covered without putting too many people out of position. Um, I think I think he's being challenged by Pivak now, to be honest, um, because like you said, he, they didn't you know they didn't want to get Tompkins out of the side, but suddenly they had no no qualms getting getting rid of, of North. So you know, I think I think he's being challenged by Pivak, and you know. His response uh, in the next few weeks is going to be uh, interesting. I think he'll respond in the right way. Uh, I know he's, he's had a bit of time off because of the ban that he had for the red card against the Dragons, and you know physically uh, there are absolutely no qualms. There, Pivak has said that he's you know in supreme physical condition. Um, he just needs to get just needs to get touches. He got four touches in Paris. Um, and if you look at the figures, anytime George North gets up around 12, 13, 14 touches, he usually scores a try. Um, so it's just about how they get the ha- get the ball in his hands. My response to the situation as a as a coach would have been just to try and think of a way of getting him more involved. Um, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have dropped him. I would have tried to just get him more involved in the game. You know, there was a there was a line out thirty five meters out from France's line in the second half. North was stood behind Dan Bigger, and you're just thinking, just get the ball in his hands. Um, and, and they sent Nick Tompkins up the middle into Vakatawa and Gail Fiku. It made no sense. Um, so you know, I would be looking at ways to get him more involved, not not binning him off. Perhaps they got Lloyd Williams lined up to cover the wing. He's played there once before, as I recall. Various success, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Let, let's talk about uh, the bench, and, and let's start with Lloyd Williams. Then um, I guess it, even the, despite being a late call up uh, this week, it wasn't too much of a surprise that he got the nod on the bench ahead of Kieran Hardy. But nonetheless, you'd imagine if you are the Scarlet Scrum half, you'd be disappointed with that, wouldn't you? I mean, I think hopefully it'll have been, as Matt suggested, it will have been made clear to Kieran exactly what the situation was ahead of this and what the plan was. I mean, I was hearing probably two weeks ago from a few blue sources that, that, you know, that Lloyd could well be sort of on standby. And if he did come into the squad because of an injury, he would be the person... <laughs> to go into the 23, and that's what's happened. Um, I think clearly there's a view that for the big games, the key games, early games in the campaign, they want experience there. Um, Kieran Hardy, it looks to me, it's like someone who's lined up to really make his bow in the Georgia game. Um, what Lloyd will offer off the bench, I mean, he is a player, there are a few better scrum halves around in wet weather rugby because his box kicking is so accurate and it, it's something he's turned into a real art form. Um, he has got quick service as well and he never gives less than his best um, and he will relish the opportunity but I'm also very keen to see how Gareth Davis goes um, it's been as I said earlier a kind of chop and change at Scrumarth throughout Pivak's tenure with Thomas Williams Gareth Davis and Reese Weber all having a go and you you never really got the clear idea who was number one coming into this campaign it seems to be Reese Webb then Reese Preston has the greatest game, takes a bang on the knee, I believe, as well. So now it's Gareth Davis's chance. I mean, Gareth has been very important for Wales during that period where Reese Webb is ineligible. Important as a running threat with his physicality around the fringes and in particular with the licence he was given to fly out of the line, put pressure on and hunt intercepts. At his best, he's a real force of nature, Gareth Davis. So I'm really hoping that he has a big game. If I recall, he's got a you know, memorable long-range try against Scotland previously. 
and he's a player who's uh, who's certainly up for a battle. With him and Bigger at nine and ten, you've got a combative pair there. Just sticking on the bench, uh, we got a question here from Ryan Crandon. Uh, what's your thoughts on Aaron Wainwright being dropped completely and keeping James Davis as the the back row cover on the bench? I think right. it's an I think it's an interesting call from from Pivac and quite surprising in in many ways. Um, you know, he didn't really elaborate too much on on, on Aaron Wainwright in the press conference, and only to say that you know, like Simon touched on earlier, that he's he's got a few things to work on, and you know, perhaps wasn't they weren't happy with the sort of physicality that he brought. I think with with James Davis, I think they like him because of his he's just got a, that sort of something different about him. Um, you know, I think. Aaron Wainwright and, and Shane Lewis Hughes, although they're not the same player, they're more similar than Shane Lewis Hughes and James Davis, for example. And you know, I just feel like if if they need the game to open up a little bit, and you know, it's going to be tough for that to happen on Saturday. Looking at the forecast, then I feel like James Davis is probably somebody who they they want in that situation. Um, just scurrying around the field, making a nuisance of himself at breakdowns and and things like that. But you know, we've talked a lot about George North, but Aaron Wainwright is in is in an interesting little predicament at the moment because he didn't have the the greatest form after the World Cup. You know, I think the the, the rugby that he'd played in the previous eighteen months had probably started to take its toll on him a little bit. He obviously he looks like he's bulking up a lot as well um, compared to what he was like before he first came on the scene. Um, so I think he's just sort of, you know, wrestling for a bit of form at the moment, trying to figure out what his new identity is in the side. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, he finds himself in a, in a bit of an interesting predicament now because, you know, if Shane Lewis Hughes goes well on the weekend, you can't see him losing his place in the side, depending on what happens with Josh Navidi um, and Ross Moriarty, both carrying Knox, of course, heading uh, into the uh, Autumn Nations Cup. Um, but Wainwright at the moment, I think, has got a big point to prove. If I was him, I, you know, I wouldn't mind be going back to the Dragons uh, in this period. Same for George North, even going back to the Ospreys. You know, players not involved. I think I'd want to, I'd want to be out on the field trying to rediscover something. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one with with Wainwright, and I didn't expect to see him out and James Davis on the bench. I got to be honest. It is a part of the what's other going one on with that, Wainwright. Gone. No, I, I, you coming to the question. I was just going to add one very quick point to what Matt said there on Cubby Boy and James Davis. If, there's been a recent trend um, in the game over the last year or so um, where you've seen an increasing number of penalties being given away by teams in the last half hour. Um, teams become stressed, particularly in terms of the, the ruck clear out and securing ball. And in that period, you often find that the jackals can really come into their own. And if you have a situation where you've got James Davis and Dylan Lewis to come off the bench, and Wynne Jones as well, three guys who were really good over the ball in the Jackal situation, you can see in that crucial period of the game, those players kind of a big influence. And it's also important to remember that in the season where the Scarlets won the Pro 14, Pro 12 under Wayne Pivak, um, and where they did so well in Europe, getting the semi-finals. James Davis played a pivotal role there, not only alongside Tyburn over the ball, but also with his ability to join the back line, both in terms of carrying with it, scuttling, running, and with his linking and his hands play, all the things that come from his sevens ability. So you can see why they would look at him as somebody who could make a real impact as the game looses up in the second half. 
And of course, uh, as we're talking about wing cover, he has covered the wing once or twice for the Scarlets. Um, but going back to the uh, sort of Wainwright question, is maybe a part of it the the balance of the current back row? If you think back to the World Cup, Wainwright was playing in a back row where he was alongside Justin Tiprick and Josh Navidi. So he had one similar sort of athletic player and then a physical player. Now it's he's been playing with Tiprick and Falatau two very athletic players and Wayne White's probably just bringing a similar sort of athleticism. Is that maybe, is, is it the balance is off, which is maybe affecting Wayne Wright? Maybe. Uh, perhaps it, they, they felt they were too lightweight. I think that's what the, the crux of it was. Um, they, they brought in Shane Lewis Hughes for his physicality, uh, both with and without the ball. Um, you know, if you look at the three players in the back row, if it was going to come down to anybody, losing their place, unfortunately, uh, it, it was going to be Wainwright. I think on the Faletau situation, though, you want to see him sort of deliver a little bit more as well on the weekend. Um, you know, obviously a phenomenal player, uh, you know, in, in the last few years, thinking back to the 2017 Lions Tour, for example, picked up a few injuries, um, obviously ruled him out of the World Cup last year. Um, but you want, to, you want to see him start sort of contributing the way he used to contribute, if you know what I mean, you know. Um, I think he's he's got to sort of you know don't get me wrong he worked miracles at the back of the scrum at times in Paris and and you know for that reason alone he's worth his place in this side um, but we don't really see the sort of line breaks and the and the sort of the big busting runs that we've seen from him in years gone by um, so you know he wasn't the only one who didn't deliver that sort of thing in Paris but you know I think he's somebody that Wales will look at and, and look for a performance from a real sort of eye-catching throwback performance from Faletel this weekend. And the other thing I think, looking at it, I, I was talking um, yesterday actually to recent Welsh international, um, just talking about the balance of the back row because he's been a big issue. Um, and what he said to me was that as somebody who's played recently and played against these these players, he feels that Justin Tipperick and Faletel are always tend to be at the very best when the third member of the back row is someone doing a lot of the unseen hard graft of the coal face. Now, Navidi is a classic example of that, someone who does all the nitty-gritty work in terms of the collisions, both sides of the ball, and also in terms of his clearing out, which he's so effective at, an area which, as Ben has said, was lacking efficiency in Paris, and also somebody who can chip in over the ball. Now, to me, Shane Lewis Hughes ticks a lot of those boxes, he will make a load and load of tackles. Because if you look at it, Tipperick was the top tackler um, on the weekend. I'm going to do a lot of the defensive work, which obviously takes him out of the game in terms of doing some of the other things he's particularly effective at, in terms of operating slightly wider channels, showing the footballing skill, the kind of skill we score for, saw for Wales' first try, where he was able to step in at first receiver and give a lovely miss pass in front of Faletau to pave the way for Halfpenny's try. Now, I think with... Shane Lewis, he was doing a lot of the real sort of hard yard work, a lot of the physical labouring work. You might see the ability for Tipperick and Pasvalatau as well to do more of the work in the kind of wider areas and loose play where they can be so effective. Um, Shane will just be into everything. I tell you that now, he would be like a man possessed out there. And um, it'd be interesting to see if he can slot into that real donkey work six role to broaden the balance of the back row as a unit. Yeah, I suppose uh, as Hugh Edward Thomas points out as well with Falatau, he's only played two games really since being back from injury. I think he deserves 
a fair bit of time. We saw a few glimpses of maybe what he can do in terms of tip on passes, which I think is going to be something crucial to how Wales get over the gain line and, and, and dictate the contact with their lack of big ball carriers. Um, let's touch on sort of maybe the final point of the team. Um, and he's been spoken about quite a lot in the last week and a half, and that's Alan Wynne-Jones. Uh, this weekend, he's going to break the record, the world record for the most test appearances, 149, surpassing Richie McCaw. That's that's some achievement, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, you know, how many times have we had these conversations in the last few years? Um, you know, it just seems like pretty much since the last Six Nations, it's been record after record after record for for Alan Wynn. Um, you know, he doesn't like having these conversations. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. I mean, I'm sure he'll be asked about it tomorrow in his captain's run press conference. And, you know, I pity the journalist that decides to ask the question because I can't imagine they'll get much of an answer out of him uh, because that's just the way he's built. Uh, he won't like to talk about it until he's got it in his hands um, after the match. Uh, and, and that's the way it is. Uh, but in terms of his longevity, I think that's the most sort of astonishing thing, really. It's just the way that he sort of, he still manages to hit these, you know, the markers that they set for these players in terms of meters run and physical, you know, tackles, he's always up there in the tackle count, plays in such a physically demanding position uh, in that second row as well. The fact that he, he continues to to turn out a performance week in, week out is, is probably the most astonishing thing about him uh, in general, really. You know, Wayne Pivak talked quite in depth about the way he looks after himself. Um, said there's no such thing as an optional session for Alan Wynne-Jones because he does everything in terms of his rehabilitation, uh, preparation for training sessions, stretching, all that sort of thing. And then just thoroughly leads by example. Um, first one to every drill, um, always asking questions and challenging people. Uh, bringing people along with him. Um, and that's the same in games as well. You know, you guarantee... Um, I think it was Wales made a break on the weekend that Alan Wynn was the man in support when really, you know, and it was late on in the game. Uh, and you look at if, if ever there's a, there's a ball goes loose or there's a kick in behind, you know, he'll be the man tracking back because uh, that's just the way he's built. Um, you know, it's put to Wayne Pivak whether or not, he, you know, is there any reason why he can't make the next World Cup? Um, Pivak certainly wasn't in the mood to write that off so you know that that speaks volumes for the the kind of person he is and, and he thoroughly deserves all the sort of accolades that, that will come his way As Pivak said uh, today I think one of the questions was can he go to the next World Cup and you never want to sort of make these predictions because you know players can fall off cliffs can't they and the body can let you down but he did allude to the fact that maybe <coughs> Alan Wynn could be the sort of guy that you just rip up the birth certificate for um, You know you'll have to you'll have to uh prize that uh, jersey and that rugby ball out of his mitts, won't you? Because uh, it means a hell of a lot to him, you can tell that. I mean, I guess it really depends on how the body holds up. Maybe the, the break, you know, we've all had, uh, all the players have had five months out of the game, will helped him sort of recharge the batteries a bit. Um, but in terms of the achievement, for me, it sums it all up the way I know that he will respond tomorrow. Because it won't be about personal glory. It'll be completely about the collective and his absolute focus will be wanting to end the four-match losing run for Wales, for the team, for everybody within the squad, for all the supporters. Um, and I, you'd like to hope that um, in the same respect, the other players in that team will be suitably inspired by the occasion and want to um, enable him to reach that landmark on a winning note. 
suppose that brings us very nicely on to the final part of this, which is everyone's favourite part is predictions. So um, how do we see the match going on Saturday? Matt, we'll start with you. It's a tough one to call. Um, you know, it's a big game for Pivac. Obviously, they need a win. Uh, fans will expect them to win because Scotland are not very well thought of in these parts. Um, you know, and, and recent results as well mean that they shouldn't be, uh, especially against Wales. You know, we've got a good record over over Scotland in in the last sort of 10 years or so. Um, but, you know, it's no gimme. Uh, Scotland will come here uh, to Llanelli with with all sorts of plans of really spoiling the party for Alan Wynne-Jones. Um you know, Stuart Hogg is back in the side after his exploits with uh, Exeter Chiefs this season. Finn Russell's back in at, at fly half. You know, I, I suppose the weather in some ways is a good thing um, because you know it kind of nullifies Finn Russell a little bit. Um, we're not I, well. We may see it. You never know with Finn Russell, but I wouldn't imagine we'll be seeing anything, you know, extravagant or intricate um, coming from him. But you know, Scotland are good at the breakdown. Uh, they're going to cause you know a lot of problems there for Wales. I know Wayne Pivak was a bit unhappy with the way the breakdown was refereed in Paris. I think France gave away 16 penalties there. To, well, Wayne Pivac says to try and stop Wales playing um, and he thought the yellow card should have come. I've no doubt they'll be putting a bit of pressure on the referee this week to keep an eye on that area um, and make sure that Scotland are not doing anything too illegal to to continually stop them from playing. Um, but it's going to be a tough ask for Wales. You know, they're not in good form. He's made a lot of changes to that side. Six in the starting 15 is is no small number these days. Um, so I think they're under a lot of pressure. Um, I, I would back Wales, but not particularly confidently. I think Scotland are favourites. I really do. Um, I watched them closely against Georgia. Yes, it was Georgia. Um, but in terms of the tempo and intent they play with, um, it, it looks like they are very much playing the way Townsend wants them to play. Uh, and the other thing is Wales essentially lost, primarily lost the game in Paris because they were pretty much blown away at the breakdown of the contact area. And Scotland have in Fraser Bowne, Ritchie, Ferguson and Watson four excellent players over the ball. Real real jackal threat there. They will really challenge Wales. If Wales, aren't, haven't, if Wales are unable to improve on the ruck efficiency, which was pretty poor, in Paris, I think they will lose the game, especially when you consider the Scotland of two real class players coming in to bolster that team in Hogg and Russell. I think you know Hogg's got a siege gun boot and will give them territory. Um, as I say, they've got two playmakers of 10 and 12 to mix it up, put it through the hands if conditions allow, or put it through with needle grubbers. And the thing is, you know, in that kind of 40 metres in the line, any little chip through from Russell, he loves nothing better than skidding it through on a surface. And when you've got the likes of uh, Duan van der Merwe and you know, Darcy Graham there as well, live white guy has to get on the end of any kicks. I think they pose a real threat and I'll be pleasantly surprised if Wales win the game. I suppose the accusation always levelled at this Scotland team is they don't travel well. That's why Warren Gatland tends not to take too many of them on Lions tours. Um, I suppose home factors are much of uh, a factor in an empty park as Scarlet's. But what about the fact that maybe Georgia didn't provide as much resistance to Scotland as France did to Wales in terms of warm-ups? I mean, there is that. I think a more important note, though, is the fact that the weather's going to be horrendous. Um, you know, we saw Scotland, Scotland were really good against Georgia, make no bones about it. Um, but the weather is going to play a huge role in this game and whoever plays the smartest rugby and deals with the conditions the best is going to win the game. 
Um, you know, for me, if you if you were Dan Bigger, you probably kick the leather off it. Um, don't play anything inside your own half. Uh, put put all the all the pressure on the Scotland back three because I think Wales have got a better back three in the air um, than the Scottish back three. Um, and you just play in the right areas of the field. You know, players are going to make mistakes on Saturday because the ball is going to be like a bar of soap. So you don't want to be making those mistakes in your own half. Um, yes, Wales will be better for the hit out against France, but I think they're under far more pressure than Scotland. So, you know, I think whilst it would have served a purpose in the Welsh camp, I would rather Wales have played Georgia and won by 40 points than played against France and play the way they did and lose by 15 points or whatever it was. So, you know, if you're talking about the warm-up games, I think I'd rather they played against Georgia and won comfortably. But, you know, this is where we find ourselves. I just want to see a coherent game plan or signs of a coherent game plan. You know, Wayne Pivak and Stephen Jones and the rest of the coaching team have been in charge now um, since the start of this year. And you, you understand the need for a new coaching team to settle in. Warren Gatlin touched on this when he was asked for his views on the new Wales setup this week. It's going to take time for things to evolve. You were starting, I thought, to see some things evolving with some of the attacking play, particularly that try early in the second half against England in March, last time out. But it was it felt like a step back against France. Matt and I were talking about it when we were asking each other, well, what is the coherent, clear game plan? Neither of us had an absolute answer to it. That's what I want to see this weekend. And the process, in a way, tricky to do that when you're making six changes. It almost suggests that you, you didn't have the formula right. But you really want to see signs this weekend that, yeah, it might come off, but they know they're clear about what they want to do. I suppose one point on that is if you, you know, as you say, there were sort of signs of coherency towards the end of the Six Nations. Well, from a coaching point of view, this year has been an absolute anomaly. You think. Stephen Jones, Pivak, they haven't had contact with the players in terms of coaching sessions for seven months. They've now got an eight-week period with them, which Stephen Jones basically described as gold dust on Tuesday, having that eight weeks with them after so long away. So I think we'll learn a lot more about where the game plan is at the end of this autumn campaign than we would have learned from Paris. Uh, there's one question I'd like to go back to in the comments, um, more for the sake of avoiding a civil war in the comments. Uh, Darren Bowen asks, does Alan Wynne jones achieving so many caps show a lack of depth in Wales? I'm reminded of the words of, um, I think David Flatman used to say that seven caps for England was the same as 70 caps for Wales. But he did say himself that Alan Wynne jones would have won 100 for England or the All Blacks. But what do we think of Darren's question? um, I don't think that um, Richie McCaw's 148 caps suggested a lack of depth in New Zealand rugby. Um, (laughs) Especially when you think of some of the quality players that weren't able to get in, like Marty Holler and Sam Kane later on. Um, What what it is indication of, both from McCaw and Alan Wynne jones he's just a world-class player. Um, Somebody, I I did a piece this week talking to various people who played with Adam and Jones and it was striking with Ian Evans said Ian Evans obviously played with him when he won his day when it was very first cap in Porto Madryn Patagonia in uh, 2006 when he actually packed down a number six Adam and Jones Ian Evans was alongside him scored a try that day went on to be his partner really for the first part of um, Alan Wynn's career sharing a Grand Slam two Grand Slams and what Ian said was that he is really the ultimate all-around second row because he started off as very much a front of line, providing the grunt um, at the front of the line at number four, then moved to the number five position, different kind of role, 
took to both with equal aplomb, has taken the role of the second row to new levels in terms of the engine. He's like a Duracell battery bunny, the way he keeps on going, still at this age, 35. And just somebody really who has, is very hard to remember many bad games he's had during those 148 as it is now. Um, as we said last week, you know, very close to being the greatest Welsh player of all time and certainly a world, world-class player. Well, there we go then. I think that's avoided a civil war in the comments. As for this live episode and the predictions, um, I think the predictions are about as bleak as the weather forecast uh, for the weekend. But hopefully it'll be a good Welsh result on the weekend and you can catch all the action and all the latest news on Wales Online. 